Just a word before we get started, this episode is the second in our series about dinosaur poop. If this topic is unappealing to you, you might want to listen to one of our other episodes. But if you are thinking, that sounds awesome, you'll definitely want to listen to our first episode in the series. It's called Who Dung It? And it's about how what dinosaurs pooped changed the way we think about what dinosaurs ate. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're headed back in time, 200 years ago to the southern coast of England, where a young girl was starting a promising career as a fossil hunter. She's now one of the most well-known early paleontologists, and one of her most famous finds is dinosaur poop. Today, we're going to learn the story behind the science. We're getting some help introducing this famous paleontologist from a very special guest. Riley is six years old and just started his own podcast about dinosaurs called Kidosaurus. Hi, everybody. This is Riley the Kidosaurus. I'm so excited to be on the Tumble podcast today so that I can teach you about Mary Annan. She was the greatest fossil hunter of all time. She and her dad would go out and be fossil hunters together. They lived in England where there was a lot of Jurassic fossils. In her many years of fossil hunting, she also made some amazing discoveries. She found the first pterosaur ever. Could you imagine what it was like for her to find a pterosaur? That's so cool. Mary Annie made other discoveries too. Let's talk about dinosaur poop. Mary Annie actually found out that some rocks weren't just rocks. Some rocks were actually dinosaur poop. Back when Mary was alive, things were a little weird. Girls weren't supposed to do science back then. That is not so great. I'm happy that boys and girls can try to be as awesome as she was. Cheers to you, Mary Annie. This is Kidosaurus signing off. Thanks, Kidosaurus. That was amazing. Everyone should go check out his show on the Kids Listen app. Yes, it is awesome. So Riley just told us that Mary Anning was an amazing fossil hunter who made lots of huge, exciting discoveries. So now that we have the basics of who she was and what she did, it's time to do our own kind of digging with the help of our next special guest. Hi, I'm Dr. Melanie Keane. I'm from the University of Cambridge. I work on how children have got interested in science over the past 250 years. Melanie has studied Mary Anning's story because it's one of the most popular stories in the history of paleontology, the study of fossils. And she's found that there was a lot going on behind the scenes of these great discoveries and some very interesting people. Because on the one hand, she can be used to tell a very traditional story that it's all about these kind of amazing first discoveries and these kind of exceptional individuals. But I think more recently, by looking more closely at Anning, she really helps us think about those interconnections, those worlds of science. So what does she mean by that? Well, it means there's always more to the story of one person's great discovery. Let's take a step back and learn about Mary Anning's world and how science worked back then. So 
also I think one thing's really interesting is that she's right at the time when what a fossil is is changing and there's so many of these new discoveries are really helping build a new science of paleontology. At the time when Mary Anning was born, in 1799, people called fossils curiosities. They would collect them just because they were weird and mysterious, and no one knew what they were. Welcome, good fellow, to my cabinet of curiosities. There are some spectacles I found on the side of the road, and this massive bone-looking thing. What do you think it could be? Uh, what's increasingly becoming realised at this time is that these are actually the remains of creatures which used to live once upon a time, and now they're not around anymore. I mean, think about it. Before we knew what a fossil was, we thought that everything that has ever lived is still on Earth. Yeah, it's so crazy. The concept of something being extinct was brand new. As Riley mentioned, Mary started fossil hunting with her dad. That's how the family made money. They would sell fossils as souvenirs to people vacationing in the beach town where they lived. Mary's father died when she was young, and her family was very poor. She had to help carry on the family business. But it became more than that. She became known as one of the best fossil hunters around. So lots of people who were very high up in the contemporary science world, so famous geologists at the time, were in touch with her. Mary had the best fossil specimens, so everyone wanted to see her. Scientists wrote in their personal diaries about finding Mary in her workshop, preparing specimens and making drawings. One of the scientists' wives wrote that everyone knew, and I quote, she understands more of the science than anyone else in the kingdom. That's because she was actually asking questions and doing real scientific research. And that's how she came to coprolites. So people have known that there are these things which are particular kinds of rocks. They call them bazoas. Um, and they're seen as a distinct kind of thing, but no one really knows what they are. Is it bazoas? Yeah, bazoas. They didn't know what these rock-like things were. And the name they gave it totally sounds like they came from a magical land. <laughs> But Mary Anning thought that they came from the past, and she was pretty sure they had something to do with the other fossils that she was finding. So quite often they're perhaps in or around the digestive tract area of some of her ichthyosaur specimens. So I think that's one thing which she starts her thinking about what this might be. Yeah, so they're near the stomach, which is a big clue. So one thing she does is looks at what's inside some of those bazaars, and so she finds kind of partially digested remains of other creatures. Oh wow, that's what paleontologists like Karen Chin from our Who Dung It episode are still doing today. Exactly. So Mary Anning made the connection between these mysterious bazaars and dinosaur poop. But during her time, no one said that she was the first to discover coprolites. Why? To be a proper, official scientist at that time, you had to be an official member of a scientific club, like the Geological Society. And to get in there, you had to be a wealthy gentleman. Yeah, so a young lady like Mary Anning would not be welcome in our exclusive club, good fellow. She was a woman, and she was poor too, so that was two strikes against her. Someone like Mary Anning is excluded from formal membership and recognition. 
So that means she can't write in scientific journals or give scientific talks. And those were the ways to officially announce and get credit for a scientific discovery. But because people are coming to see Mary and using her fossils in their papers and talks, all the scientists know her and respect her, including the man who gets the official credit for discovering coprolites. William Buckland is one of these more elite gentlemen of science. The Reverend William Buckland was a professor at Oxford University, and he was known for being kind of weird. His wife Mary is also a very accomplished paleontologist. She has a lot of illustrations. They're noted as a fairly uh, interesting family. Um, they like to try and eat their way through the animal kingdom. <laughs> Wait, what? They're eating their way through the animal kingdom? So. Does that mean leeches? <laughs> <laughs> it means they had recipes like mice on toast. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> they were also famous for having a special coprolite table with all sorts of fossil feces laid into the top, nicely polished and beautiful. <laughs> this was a great joke in the family because people used to come around and say, gosh, what a marvelous table. And they didn't know what they were looking at. Across the room, people who were in the know quietly sniggering to themselves. I mean, this, this family sounds like kind of a lot of fun. I feel like I would do exactly <laughs> that if I had the means and enough compromise. <laughs> At the same time as Anning, he's also trying to work out what are these things, which we now call coprolites. And he's the one who comes up with the word coprolite. In 1823, Buckland published a paper about a cave that contained all kinds of interesting fossil bones. Hyenas, elephants, tigers, mice, and more. That sounds like a really crowded cave dwelling with uncomfortable roommates. <laughs> I think of it as like a weird prehistoric party. So Buckland deduced that it was a hyena den based on these little small white rock balls that he found. What do you think that they were? Um, hyena poop. <laughs> yes, hyena coprolites. The hyenas were eating and then pooping in the den. And Buckland's paper on this discovery is the first official documentation of coprolites. Often he is seen as being the person who uh, discovered what they were because he published his first paper about it. Um, that's nowadays what we count really as a scientific discovery. It's when you get the first paper out. So what does Mary Anning think about all this? Well, she's not a big fan of William Buckland. <laughs> One scientist wrote in his diary after visiting her, her account of her disputes with Buckland, whose anatomical science she holds in great contempt was quite amusing. Quite amusing indeed. So basically, she didn't have a lot of respect for his knowledge. No, but they came to the same conclusions. It's some of her specimens which are used in his paper to try and define what a coprolite is. So Anning and Buckland are really tied together. Yeah, and you could argue that Buckland wouldn't have made his discoveries without Anning's fossils. Right, and Anning didn't have a chance to publish a paper like Buckland's because she wasn't a member of those scientific societies. But she was still an acknowledged part of the community of scientists. She was talking to them and exchanging ideas and knowledge all the time. And that's how we know so much about her. 
We have her letters and we have stories from scientists and we have articles written about her. She was famous even while she was living and after she died in 1847, many people wrote about her contributions and her life. So she was respected even in her own time. Even though women like her weren't supposed to do science, Mary Anning proves that they did, and she wasn't the only one. I mean, if you think about it like the fossil record, so her story has been preserved, her story has been excavated, and it's now put on display, but there's all of those other people whose stories haven't survived. In other words, Mary Anning is just one woman in science, but she's standing in for all the others like her whose lives weren't written as much about, like Elizabeth Philpott, who is friends with both Mary Anning and William Buckland. Buckland's own wife, Mary, contributed a lot to his work. And Charlotte Murchison, who actually pushed her husband to get involved in science so she could too, was a close friend of Mary Anning. So there was a real community around her, including other women. Yeah, and it was thanks to all these women and many others who came after them that women's scientific work no longer has to be in the background. They were pioneers for the many female paleontologists working now, including Karen Chin, who's recognized as one of the world's foremost coprolite expert today. I like how dinosaur poop has an important role to play in the history of women in science. It really passes down through time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) Thanks to Melanie Keene, Director of Studies for History and Philosophy of Science at Homerton College at the University of Cambridge. Thanks again to Karen Chin, Curator of Paleontology at the University of Colorado Boulder. She provided us with her original research on the history of coprolites. And much of the information we have about Mary Anning's life comes from a paper by Hugh Torrens, Emeritus Professor of Science and Technology at Keele University. Special thanks to Riley and Brad White from the new podcast Kidosaurus. Sarah Lentz is our editor. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I make all of the music. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more stories of science discovery. Bye.